Welcome to the Stony Brook Crossroads Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doyle DeGraw. For more information about this podcast, our community, and other resources, please visit CrossroadsChurchSB.com. All right, so this morning we want to continue looking at Philippians. We're going to get into Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. If you want to, uh, uh, how did this pastor say it last night? You want to open your phones and look at your Bible, or you want to look at the screen, whatever you want to do. But as we get ready to read the passage, I want to have you think about <clears throat> perspective and share a couple of funny stories that, or interesting stories that describe how perspective can change how we see things. There was a shoe manufacturer who detected, or, dis, or detected, who decided to open uh, the Congo market, and he sent two salesmen into this undeveloped territory. One salesman cabled back, the prospect here is nil. No one wears shoes. The other salesman reported enthusiastically, the market potential is terrific. Everyone is barefooted. It's a matter of perspective. Um, here's another perspective. When Goliath came against the Israelites, the soldiers all thought, he's so, bad, he's so big that we can never kill him. But David looked at the same giant and he thought, he's so big I can't miss. <laughs> it's a matter of perspective. And uh, as we enter into the book of Philippians, Paul is in prison. He has been. He's being persecuted. He will continue to be persecuted. But he has a perspective about life. And that perspective about life is always filtered through his view of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let's look at these verses from verse 12 to verse 30 that give us a real glimpse of Paul's perspective of his circumstances. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I, sh I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. <clears throat> my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all 
for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened by anything, in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer his, for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Here's the main idea I want to get across to you this morning. Life's perspective is best viewed with Christ in the center. Christ's perspective, life's perspective is best viewed with Christ in the center so that every opportunity that we have, every circumstance, whether it's difficult or whether it's easy for us to process through, serves to advance the message of Jesus Christ. What's the message? The message is Jesus Christ made a way to the Father for us to, to enjoy. Jesus Christ made it possible for us to be in the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which every person on this planet is longing for, whether they know it or not, because that's home. That's the gospel. That's the thing that gives us perspective about every circumstance that comes our way. There's, if, we come, if we come to it with any other perspective, we're going to come up short. It's the only perspective, and Paul talks about this a lot in this book, it's the only perspective that brings joy, that brings real joy. It's the joy that gives us the experience of living synchronized with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as they, they relate to one, or in this, one another in this, I guess, this dance that they have of enjoying relationship. It's that kind of joy. It's the kind of joy you have with your, when you're with a group of people and you're just so happy to be together with them. But even to a greater extent because it represents, it represents eternal joy. So what do you think, what would you think is the key verse in the middle of this passage? Very good, that's it. The key verse, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The word is can be replaced with purpose, or meaning, or the center of everything, the foundation, the power of everything, is about living for Christ. And if you think about it, there's just this kind of a drumbeat of repetition. To live as Christ, to die as gain. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Living for Christ, dying as gain. So I want to invite you to fill in the blank in your own mind for just a minute. For me, living is fill in the blank. We fill in the blank with all sorts of different things. We fill in the blank with money, pleasure, for me to live as power, beauty, entertainment. And so, if we start with to live is money, what's dying if you're living for money? Growing broke. Loss. 
Losing everything. What's, uh, what's dying if you're living for power? Lack of control. Life is spinning out of control. You're completely powerless to be able to do anything about it. What if you're living for beauty? What's dying? Growing old. Wrinkles. Decomposing. We're all, you know, that's a better word than I had in my notes. I had rotting. <laughs> decomposing sounds nicer. We're all decomposing. But in reality, we're all rotting because we're all dying. Um, in this short life, we have a decision to make, obviously, and to live at Christ. To join with Paul, we get to say, living is Christ and dying is gain. And I want you to think about the perspective that's at the core of this little short letter. Four chapters long. Takes about 12-15 minutes to read the whole letter. And even in this little section, in this section of, of 18 verses, 12-30, through 30, verse 13, my, my imprisonment, he says, is for Christ. Verse 18, whether in pretense or in truth, talking about some of his enemies, whether in pretense or in truth, it doesn't matter. Why? Christ is proclaimed. And because of that, I rejoice. Verse 20, I will not at all be ashamed, but that, was, that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. You know what his body looks like at this point as he's describing that? If you go into, I think it's, in, uh, it's one of the Corinthians, he describes how many times he had been whipped. He had been stoned. He had been put in situations where he had been starved. He had been shipwrecked. His body is in really bad shape. But he says, I'm not ashamed of any of that because I have the benefit of knowing Christ has been honored in everything I've been through. Verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, it doesn't matter what else our life has brought our way, one thing we know for sure, everything that has come our way has been granted to us for one purpose, for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's the perspective that Paul's trying to get us to get a hold of. So I want to I pull out of these verses just a few things. And that one is, others can gain the correct perspective of life based on how we respond to pressure. Others can gain the correct perspective of life based on how we respond to pressure. Look at verses 12 through 14 again if we can. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Depending on how we respond, I mean, how many of you here have some sort of trouble going on in your life? Just two or three of you. We would like to talk to the rest of you afterwards about how you're working that out. Okay, we all have something we're going through. 
Some of us have things that are worse than others. But isn't it the truth that whether it's our brothers and sisters here, whether it's somebody we work with, whether it's a neighbor, that people are watching to see what our response is going to be. And depending on our response to our situations, others can gain the perspective that Paul's talking about that life can be different. Life can be responded to differently. Life can be responded to with joy and peace and a sense of contentment, even though the outward circumstances don't look like they deserve it. How do we learn to respond, you think, in the midst of pressure? How do we learn to respond? We learn to respond by our matter of perspective. It depends on who we're living for. If we're a believer, we're always living for the gospel. If I look at what happens to me through inward and selfish eyes, we all know that ends up making us more frustrated and we never find any peace in the midst of that. But if I look at every situation as an opportunity for the gospel to go forward, that becomes my motivation. So I want to invite you to do something for just a moment. Just think to yourself. Just think about any difficult circumstances you're going through. And just in your heart right now, just ask the Lord, Lord, could you take those circumstances and somehow or another, could the gospel, could the message of the good news be advanced because of what I'm going through? And I encourage you to do that because if you start to do that with life circumstances, all of a sudden, it takes the power away from the circumstances. It takes the power away from the difficulties because you realize those circumstances don't have power over me. What has power over me is what God is going to do in me through the midst of the circumstances. We all know there's no guarantee what we're going to experience in our life. But we do know there's a guarantee that this life will make sense and we can make a difference if we see it through the perspective of what Christ brings to us. It's kind of intimidating for me to think that my perspective on life situations, how I respond, if I respond with joy or I respond with bitterness, it's intimidating to me to think that it can make or break the effectiveness of my testimony. I don't think I ever have had anybody say this. I hope not. But I don't think any of us wants to ever hear someone say, and you say you're a Christian because of the way you handled yourself. And if we don't look at life through the perspective and the lens of what Jesus Christ is doing in our lives, we're in danger of doing those kinds of things and damaging our testimony. Isn't it distressing? You know, hopefully it's not us, but it's distressing when you hear of someone having a moral failure or having some difficulty in their life and bringing a bad testimony to the message of Christ. And so that, that becomes an important factor that Paul talks about because the next thing he says in verses 19 to 20 is about producing perspective in others with our prayer in the Holy Spirit. He says in verses 19 and 20, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, 
Jesus Christ will, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So how do we learn to pray for others in the Spirit? I think my answer is this. It's a matter of perspective. Who does the Holy Spirit always point to? Jesus. So how do I know if I'm praying in the Spirit? Where do my thoughts go? Jesus. How do I know if I'm praying with the right motivation? I, I start having motivation that's interested in lifting up Jesus. So if I'm praying and I'm not thinking of Jesus, who, who am I praying in? I'm not praying in the Spirit. I'm praying in some Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit because Jesus always brings our attention. I mean, the Spirit always brings our attention to Jesus Christ. And so it affects how we pray for one another. Bold prayer includes prayer that seeks help and deliverance by the Holy Spirit for the sake of Christ. And so the way we know if we're praying in the Spirit is we see Jesus' purpose, we see his plan. And we see it starting to come into focus. So that means that when we're praying for ourselves and in a situation, circumstances begin to find their focus. The puzzle pieces start to come into place. When we are praying in the Spirit because God or Jesus starts bringing order to situations and circumstances because we've got a perspective that represents His plan and His purpose. And then the other thing I want to get from these verses is this. We gain perspective by standing side by side. We are not supposed to do this by ourselves. For those of you that are the most independent this morning in our, in our crowd, I want to repeat it again. We are not supposed to do this by ourselves. Paul says in verses 27 to 30, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you, I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, and notice the next part, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. How did Jesus send the disciples out? There were twelve of them, right? Two by two. That seems kind of ineffective, don't you think? I mean, that means, if I got my math right, 12 divided by 2 is 6, right? So he only sent them to six different areas. Why not send them out by themselves? Then he could cover 12 regions. I don't even know the exact answer, except I know that there's something about the synergy of working side by side. And also there's something about the kingdom where we are not supposed to be doing this by ourselves. Stand together against external opposition. Let's remind ourselves of something, everybody. I realize there are times that you may look at me and think, you know, I don't agree with Doyle, and I hope you don't get to this place, but you may get to the place where you may think, he's actually an enemy of mine. There may be other believers that you know. Believers in Jesus Christ that you identify as an enemy. What's wrong with that perspective? It's, it's a perspective where we have forgotten something very, very important. Whose side are we on? 
Are we on the side of the enemy that wants to rob and steal and destroy? Or are we on the side of the person that wants to bring to us freedom and abundant life? And isn't it true, especially in the church, isn't it true that sometimes we forget who the enemy is? And that, I think that's what Paul was going after. And Emily, if you could bring up these verses in uh, chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. We're supposed to be on the same side of the battle because we're fighting for the same Lord. We're fighting for the same leader who leads us into that battle. We stand together against external opposition. We serve one another with humble compassion. And if Satan can't corrupt our hearts with love of money or with sexual sin or any other tactic that he can try to bring us down because of pride in our life, he will use the tactic of envy and rivalry. Paul speaks to it in this book of Philippians. He speaks about it in other letters. He talks about those that have actually turned themselves in opposition against Paul. And how does that happen? That happens because we let this little sin of envy and rivalry get into our spirit. And we start, we start forgetting what the real purpose of what we are called to. We forget that we're called to serve Jesus, not to serve our own agendas. Let me read you a story. There was this godly hermit in the 4th century. And the man kept denying the allurements presented to him by demons. I'm strong, I can fight the demons off, he said. And the demons went back, and it's sort of like screw tape letters. The demons went back and they reported the problem to Satan. And so Satan suggested a more effective strategy. Send him, send him a message that his brother just had been made bishop of Antioch and bring him good news. The demons used the devil's scheme, reporting the wonderful news to the pious hermit. And on hearing this message, the godly hermit fell into deep, wicked jealousy. So how do we make sure that we're standing side by side? It's a matter of perspective. We remember that we are fighting for and with Jesus. We are not fighting each other. We are fighting for each other and for Him. That's the perspective that Paul repeats over and over again in this letter. Therefore God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that, that everyone will declare and the knee that everyone will bow to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That's, that's all I want to know. Is that what you believe? Then we're on the same side. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And my God will supply every need, every need according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Is that your perspective? If that's your perspective, then we're on the same side. Because we're going to find the perspective that God intends for all of us. So to wrap this up, let me just say this. So what do we do to have the right perspective? 
we stay focused. We put the gospel of Jesus Christ first. We check our motives to make sure that we don't have jealousy and envy in our hearts because someone else gets promoted ahead of us or we find someone else succeeding for the sake of the gospel. Instead, what we do is we celebrate. And we rejoice whenever we see Christ proclaimed. I mean the true gospel proclaimed. And we seek the Spirit in every situation because we know the Spirit's going to point us to Jesus. And we make it our ambition to honor Christ by relying on Him completely and representing Jesus Christ courageously. So let me finish with this statement. And let me encourage you to hear it as clearly as possible. Stand together in Him against external opposition. Serve one another in Him with humble compassion. So if you stand together if you stand together against external opposition, I want to invite you to stand right now. And here's what I'd like us to do as we sing our closing song. I'd like us to eliminate the aisle down the middle. So that means I want everybody to move together. I'm not going to have you put your hands on each other's shoulder or anything like that, but I want to eliminate any separation. And if you need to, yeah, just slip back. We are standing together. We don't have chairs separating us. We are standing together. We're on the same team. For who? Let's try that again. For who? Yeah. Just want to make sure you got that. So, All right, I'm going to stand over here by my wife. Father, this morning, obviously, we need you a lot. But in the midst of needing you, you've given us one another. And it's our desire, Lord, to work together as partners for the gospel. And we know that we join a great cloud of witnesses that went before us. And we're thankful, Lord, that all around us, even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes, there are others that are with us that are on the same side. So Lord, help us to carry that perspective for the sake of the kingdom, for the unity of the church so that your bride would be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And so Lord, we're committed as a church to be part of that process that we bring the message of the kingdom, the perspective of Jesus Christ to this island and to the people around us. And so, Lord, as we go, I pray that you would bless everybody and just receive this blessing from the Lord. I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you his grace. And I pray the Lord would turn the light of his countenance toward you and give you his peace. Go in the grace and peace of Jesus. Amen.